Hello, welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen, and, and folks, welcome to the playoffs. We are here. We have made it. The playoffs are upon us. That means it's a sprint for this podcast. I go from over the next two weeks, you'll get four episodes. Uh, they will be in-depth. We will be looking at all these playoff matchups with various different guests. Joining me today, YB and Mason. I was hoping Bragg could join us, but I, I think he's lost somewhere in the ether. I think he had to work this evening. Uh, but joining us instead, a better Brad replacement. It's RK, Ryan Kearney. Welcome, ba- uh, welcome back to the show, co-host of the uh, Rothpod, back with us. And uh, fellas, I don't have a lot of time to dilly-dally or do uh, do crazy talk here because we have schedules to adhere to, and uh, there's a lot to talk about. So let me give you folks a rundown of how these shows this week are going to go. Today, we will take a close look at the AFC playoff picture, the three AFC wildcard weekend matchups. We'll go in-depth, previewing each of those matchups. We'll do picks. For each of those matchups, and we'll do some overall AFC playoff thoughts. Then, we will also touch on some of the bigger storylines from Week 18. Some of the teams that collapsed last second for there not to be included in the playoffs. And, of course, all the coaching firings that have happened We're going to go in a little bit of a weird order here. We're going to start with one game because Mason has to get up early in the morning. And that is Bill's Steelers. The Buffalo Bills are in the playoffs after beating the Miami Dolphins and winning the AFC East. It's a big dub. It's a big dub for the Bills who frankly needed it pretty badly. And uh, they got in. They would have been in if they, if, if they had not uh, won by virtue of, uh, I believe, who who was it that, that lost that, that put them in? The Jaguars were the ones yeah, who the Jaguars uh, off going. Fell, fell apart down the stretch. We'll talk about the Jags in a little bit. But how are we feeling, Mason? It's the playoffs. Let me, can I give you my prognostication on the Buffalo Bills as someone that's watched them quite a bit over the last few weeks because they just happened to catch my eye and they're on primetime a lot. Uh, I, I'd feel really good about the defense, which is shocking to say, considering the conversations that we have had throughout the year. But I think Sean McDermott over the past month has shown that this defense can show up for big games and will come to play. Von Miller has escaped legal trouble somehow, some way, despite reports. And, you know, he is a guy that shows up big time in the playoffs. I like Christian Bentford, I believe. I, I, I hope I got that name right. He's been playing he some good ball, ball at corner. They just got some guys that are playing pretty well right now. It all comes down to what are you going to get from your quarterback who has looked like a wildly uh, just like I I know the Josh Allen experience has always kind of been this way, but I feel like more so than than usual. This is 
this is vintage Josh Allen, and that's not necessarily a good thing. This is the guy in year two or three of his career where he's doing crazy stuff that you're like, wow, that's awesome. But he's also doing crazy stuff that's like, why did you almost throw three interceptions in the first half against the Miami Dolphins? And I feel like you just got to hope good Josh Allen shows up over the next few weeks. And if he does, I think you're in a pretty good position. But it all depends on what Josh Allen you get for this run. So um, the the most apt comment I think I've seen and heard about the Buffalo Bills is the Buffalo Bills are the worst team I've ever seen play football. The Buffalo Bills are also the best team I've ever seen play football. We just have literally no freaking idea which version of them is going to show up at any given quarter, much less any given game. Um, Josh, I think his play is actually most reminiscent of it was, I think, year two when he had a shoulder injury, which he's currently suffering through along with a finger injury. Uh, I don't want to say that explains all of it because Miami's pass rush was actually pretty excellent throughout the first half of that game. And I mean, there was regularly three dudes almost untouched blowing through the line, absolutely decimating his ability to make reads or plays. And uh, a couple of those throws were absolutely inexcusable. There was definitely some miscommunications and uh, Gabe Davis's inability to miss his own legs with his feet. Um, <laughs> YB, I pray to God, you had no stake at all in Gabe Davis's ability to stay upright and run a route. Um, less of it now than in previous seasons uh, the defense scares me a little bit because we've got to see how Rasul Douglas ends up doing because he was I think one of the biggest reasons this defense has held together down the stretches because we went out we got a piece that we were sorely in need of with Trey White going down earlier in the year and he came in and was effectively the best cornerback in football down the last month but now he left the game with an injury. We have a couple of others in uh, Johnson, our running back, and who has been oddly really good, despite the fact that I've never heard his name outside of five weeks ago. Um, but Josh is is absolutely the biggest wild card on the team right now. It's what version of him are we going to get? Because if it's what we got in the second half of the Dolphins game, we could win the Super Bowl. If it's the Josh we got in the first half of the Dolphins game, we could lose to the Steelers. So it, it's really – God forbid. I, 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 yeah, God forbid. Because <laughs> um, we finally have the two seed. We finally have home field advantage where we could have Casey come into our house rather than having to freaking go to theirs. But, again, it's it's who shows up. and And I think of all years, though, this is one of the years I feel the most comfortable in who we're going to have to play our way through because the AFC is so weak overall outside of Baltimore absolutely blowing people apart. Everyone else is super beatable. I'm really not worried about anyone else in the AFC. It's been the Super Bowl that's absolutely terrifying because there's three NFC teams I'd be terrified to meet at this point. Like, I Going on Josh Allen and how you know how, how he is a human roller coaster in the season. There's a there's a tweet put out yesterday by Kevin Cole. He said, So Josh Allen on his interceptions and his fumbles and his fourth down failures, if you combine them all, he lost 12.8 EPA. 
and his total EPA for the game was plus 7.9, which tells you something. <laughs> that, that is insane. That So, you know how people say, like, who was it that made that comment? Was it RG3 or someone like about a bus driver and a, and a game manager or something like that? Alan is the quintessential bus driver. He could drive it into a ditch or he could drive it like quicker <laughs> than anybody else into, into this destination. And you're right that and Eric was also right in that the defense has come together, I think, like far better than I think could have imagined like just six games ago, like after losing such a critical leader in Matt Milano, uh, Tredavious White also still out and they've cobbled together a defense and they got virtually nothing out of Vaughn Miller. I think they actually actually did get literally nothing, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so literally nothing. He was a healthy scratch a week ago. He played a couple of snaps this past week and was largely ineffective. Um, I, I will give McDermott some credit here because I have been one of the yeah. most one vocal of, the of, of get rid of this fool. Um, he has seemed to have learned a little bit about the ending of games. You, I, I rarely see him play at the ending of games when we don't have, you know, one of those absolutely insane leads that they occasionally get where it's a close one-score game. He stopped playing that prevent defense that has allowed teams to just march up and down the field. He's actually sending blitzes. He's sending extra bodies in there to make sure that their life is miserable. It's why Tua threw that interception at the end of the game is because he actually got aggressive. And so I, I have to give him some credit for actually taking some information and learning from it rather than sticking to the same crap that has lost us some really big games. Ryan, I have a question for you on this one. The yeah. Bills overall as an outfit this year, the offense in particular has been spotty at points. They've, you know, they've, they've had... Good stretches. They've had bad stretches. Down down the stretch, they 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 were good. After they fired Ken Dorsey, they had a few tremendous games, like the Cowboys games. A few others, the offense kind of slows down and disappears. What are you expecting from them now that we're in January and these games are 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 mattering? Do you think this kind of faux tension between Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen dissipates and this is one of the most explosive offenses in the league again? Or do you think we're heading for more of sometimes things are clicking on all cylinders and other times they're having a hard time getting chunk plays down the field? Yeah, I, I think we'll probably still see a little bit of both of that. Uh, I think obviously the high end potential is is there and especially going into a matchup where Pittsburgh is going to be without TJ Watt. I feel like they should probably feel pretty good heading into a home playoff game at this point. But um, I feel like they can still kind of hit from a, a little bit different levels. Obviously, you know, Allen has a little sporadic play in his game, to say the least. But James Cook obviously is, has delivered probably the best year we've seen from a Bills running back in, you know, a number of years at this point. Not only running the ball for over a thousand yards, but um, even being involved in the pass game as well. 
Um, I think that's kind of given the Bills a, a little bit different dimension that they haven't had in, in recent years. So um, I think that combined with the fact that Stefan Diggs is, you know, still able to produce when, um, you know, the, the defense isn't, you know, maybe double teaming him on a regular occurrence. And um, then even outside of that, you know, some of their younger players like Dalton Kincaid and Khalil Shakir have uh, helped out that offense too. So I feel like there's some good depth there. I, I have some confidence in the Bills. Yeah, obviously they've had their ups and downs, but the fact they've played some, some better football over recent weeks really since that loss to Philly um, they've really kind of dialed it in here a little bit uh, I think that uh, you know they're a scary out I don't think anybody really wants to face the Bills right now um, you know outside of probably Baltimore who obviously knows they don't have to leave their own place um, you know Buffalo I think is definitely going to be a big player and I think they'll definitely get past Pittsburgh uh, without their top defensive player with Watt not being available let's go around and uh, let's pick this game Let's let's go ahead. Uh, scores and uh, and finals. We'll we'll start with UYB and then we'll go. Ryan, and I'll get give my thought and we'll let Mason wrap things up for us. The Steelers, like they, their only good offensive performances ever since uh, in the second half of the season were against the future Bengals defense. As much as it pains me to say it, and the Bills defense is playing a hell of a lot better than the Bengals defense. So I don't think it'll be close. I think it'll be about twenty eight ten and. Maybe even further than that, but I'll go 28-10 Buffalo. Okay. I uh I got Buffalo uh as well uh in this game. Um uh, not not too uh too sold on Mason Rudolph uh you know winning in the playoffs. So um I got Bills in this one. I'll say uh I'll say man, 28-10 seems like a good prediction, but I want to be a little bit more fun. I'll go uh 31-17. Okay, I think I've learned enough from watching this NFL season that I, I think I'm pretty convinced these scores this weekend are going to be low, uh, even even if the Bills look solid. I think I'll take them in the win. Losing TJ Watt just hurts so much. I feel like if Watt was playing in this game, you could make a case that maybe the pass rush makes things uncomfortable for Josh Allen and the Steelers can kind of grit and grind their way into it. But I just think no TJ Watt, Mason Rudolph, it's just too much to overcome. I'd go Bills 24, Steelers 13. So I've been debating on which way I feel about this because there's obviously the Bills that love playing down to the talent level of whatever team they're playing and making it extraordinarily stressful. But then there is the team that shows up and absolutely blows out a team for no good reason at all, like they did like Dallas and Miami earlier in the year. So I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to say playoff Josh shows up. Diggs has a great outing. Cook has a good outing. Maybe Von Miller even decides he's going to play football again. And it's going to be some silly thing like 42-14. Okay, that's very high scoring. I, I don't I don't see any way it gets that high. I'll, I'll be a little bit shocked if we get more than, I'll say, two of the six games this week where the top score is more than 35. I, I just don't, I, I don't think all year we've seen these, these teams just, score low point totals i just don't i don't think we're in definitely not wrong i don't i don't think we're in for like a ton of scoring this round i think it's gonna be 
there's going to be some some grit and grind games. So I think that'll be interesting. We'll do week 18 and coaches at the end, but I want I want to keep you around, Mason, while while we still can. Let's let's go through some of these other AFC playoff matchups. And I wish Brad was here, but uh, Chiefs, Dolphins, obviously very interesting matchup. Tua gets a shot here at really his first true shot in the playoffs. He was injured last year, didn't get get a chance to play. This will be a, a big game for him, a big game for the Dolphins offense, which has not traveled very well and in which has struggled against great defenses and big teams. Playing in, I believe it's supposed to be 10 degrees in Arrowhead this weekend. It is going ten degrees before Minchill. It is yeah. going to be a really ugly jersey matchup. One like I like the like the, uh, very ugly. Could resist matchup. that shot? Could you? Very ugly jersey matchup. Well, I mean, well, I, I love. Mean, I gotta agree with him here. Yellow plus turquoise plus orange. Like God. Yeah, like. L- I, I love the Chiefs uniforms. Don't get me wrong. This has nothing to do with the Chiefs. But those Chiefs sure. <laughs> bright reds against like those dopey dolphins aways, like those it's it's gonna be ugly to watch. Maybe they'll wear in, the whites and it'll be at least not horrible. Yeah, it's gonna be ugly aesthetically. It's gonna be ugly football. But here we are. Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. RK, is there any shot, any shot at all, that after basically 18 weeks of us being like, hey, it's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, they're going to figure it out at some point. Do you think that if somehow, some way, the Dolphins' offense does show up, the Chiefs can keep up in a shootout, keeping in mind that the new shootout is a game where both these teams score 30 points? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a chance here. I mean, obviously, I feel like the Chiefs, when you think about them, like you said, Reed and Mahomes, but I feel like it's the Chiefs defense that really has kind of been the star of the show this year, which is weird to say, but given how lackluster the Chiefs receivers have been this year, I feel like that defense is, uh, you know, as big a reason why they've got a home playoff game as, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes is on the other side. So obviously, these teams played in Germany earlier this year, and it was a more lower scoring game, just 21-14, kind of a weird battle. (laughs) Uh, overseas but and it'll be a cold one at Arrowhead like you said so um, I think that you know Casey yeah I I bet Mahomes can probably figure it out especially if he's got the ball in a one possession game down late you know you still kind of assume he can come through in in some of those moments you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt but um, yeah I think that really is the more intriguing matchup to me it's that Dolphins offense against the Chiefs defense uh, you know heading into Arrowhead YB your thoughts on if Tyreek Hill can be effective in this game oh i think he'll be effective all right just that i I wonder how many balls he gets thrown over over the middle that eventually cause him to uh, limp over to the sideline like he's done too many times this season like two has has played exceptionally well this season but there is there has been a tendency to kind of leave his receivers out to dry especially hill hill is a freak of nature so he kind of shrugs it off and comes back but you can see that the injuries kind of took its toll on hill as the season went on uh, I forget whether Waddle will be back for this game, but they've missed Waddle over the past couple of weeks. Like, and it's like 
the chief uh, Brian mentioned the Chiefs defense. I've been very complimentary of the Chiefs defense over the past like over the past several shows that I've been on. Uh, Chris Jones, after missing the first couple of games of the season, has missed a beat. Got his massive bonus for his uh, ten point ten and a half sacks, and they have a very good secondary. Like Sneed, one of the best corners I think in the NFL, and with good safeties in the back. So yeah, I'm very curious because. The running game that was so effective for Miami as well kind of dwindled down as the season went on. Mostert wasn't the same as he was in midseason. A-chan's a game-breaker, but A-chan, like, you always wonder if one hit will knock him out for this important game. So it'll be fascinating, and I think they, the Dolphins have, obviously, we know about them crumbling against the big boys when they played them. And the Chiefs, like, despite their struggles this season, you will still have to classify them as one of the bigger teams. Like, I'm Obviously, that's a little more debatable this season than in years past. But I think the Miami defense, I think, also kind of worries me, although the state of the Chiefs offense kind of dampens my worries on that regard. Jalen Ramsey got beat pretty badly on a couple of balls, and I think if like, I just didn't remember one where Josh Allen airmailed the long ball, which he normally nails in his sleep. And when it was a rare occasion when Stefan Diggs was absolutely free beyond the secondary which has become increasingly rare over the past couple past couple of weeks. So, yeah, I think it'll be a lower scoring game than I think people imagine it to be considering the pedigree of the teams here. And, but I think the Chiefs can pull it off by the skin of their teeth because I'm not sold on my when they have to face adversity. So, Mason, I, I, I just have a feeling that in a game like this with these conditions, I know it's so cliche to say at this point but here i do feel like it it really is true it's these running games i think that will kind of help determine the way this goes and while yes yb said you know there's there's he has some concerns about miami's i don't have those personally i think devon Achin has played really well over the past few weeks and raheem mosert has been one of the more underrated running backs this season in the NFL, I do think that they can have success against this Chiefs defense on the ground. But how do you feel about both these running games going into the game? Because I'm kind of concerned about the Chiefs running game that really seemed to find its footing about a, a few weeks ago. But over the last few weeks of the season, Isaiah Pacheco really started to slow down. Clyde Edwards-Elair became more involved in the offense somehow, some way, which is always... Not not a great thing. Even though he, he he did play better over the over the last month, how do you feel about both these teams' running attacks and how that plays into this game going into this matchup? So I mean, I guess you could say a chance doing well at I think what seven point six yards a carry, something like that. I got that's an okayish average for running back. I'd say. Um, I mean, I, if you're if you're asking flat out you know, which running attack is stronger. I, I, it's got to be Miami's. I mean, I think, honestly, Miami's kind of has been all year long, even when Pacheco is kind of at his height. But I think the bigger issue right now that it directly relates to the running game is where Miami's injuries are. I mean, they're starting edge and defensive linemen who were either on their practice squad or weren't on their team two weeks ago. I mean, they just signed Justin Houston. They're they're signing all sorts of people as far as they can find because every person they possibly have has now been injured and sidelined. 
Xavier Rhodes isn't going to be in this game either, which I know is in their secondary. But I think that kind of leads to the fact that like that middle of the field and the pressure that's going to be on both Patrick Mahomes and any running backs that, that have to find holes and stuff like that is going to be almost minimal to a degree, just because, I mean, you saw it in the back half of the Bills game. They really were starting to struggle a lot getting any kind of pressure or rhythm going if they weren't sending at least five or six guys. And the Chiefs are the last team you can do that against. So they'll find the running back. They'll find Travis Kelsey over the middle and absolutely punish you for doing something stupid like that. So I think at the end of the day, the running games are going to be extraordinarily important. And while Miami's is stronger, I think just like the totality of the situation is really going to allow KC to end up being the one that looks at least a little more impressive on the stat sheet, if nothing else. And you know, when you lose like three of your three or three best edge rushers, like two injury, two of them to very serious injuries, like you you lost you lost uh, Jalen Phillips several about a month ago with torn Achilles. You lost Bradley Chubb last week with a torn ACL. You lose Andrew Van Ginkle, who has somehow has the best season of his career at age twenty eight. But apparently that's the Vic Fangio match for you. So when you're adding Justin Houston and Bruce Irvin to uh, to a to a postseason squad, uh, I mean they've had good careers, no doubt, but they're not in their prime by any stretch of the imagination. So. You have to get the buys where you can. No, and this is absolutely not the time you want to be adding new people to your team. Right. The only saving grace is that I think that the Kansas City's tackles who have, like, they've, they've had good tackle play for most of the Mahomes era, and this year as that has not been the case at all. Like, Juwan Taylor, like, had, like, I think his struggles are a bit overblown, but he has not been good. Donovan Smith has been bad. So, like, it's it's a match for weakness on weakness if you're talking about the edge rush. Oh, and as far as the Dolphins' offensive line, too, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it's like 20-some offensive linemen they've started this year so far. Something like that. Like, ironically like enough, the one that's labeled as the group on Toronto Armstead will probably play this game, which kind of tells you about what kind of <laughs> this is. All right. Let's give some picks here. I'll start with you, RK. I got... Uh... I got Kansas City coming away. It's just tough to win at Arrowhead uh, on the road. It seems like uh, I'd trust uh, the Chiefs defense and Mahomes in this game, but I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be a close competitive game, uh, you know, maybe relatively low scoring. I'll say uh, 24-17, KC. YB? 16-14, KC. I think that both, like, Kansas City's offense struggles because they've struggled throughout the year. And, but... I think they get into the red zone enough times to ha have the reliable butcher bail them out. And I think the Dolphins, they show flashes on a couple of drives, but they also kind of discombobulate when they absolutely have, when they absolutely need to get it done. And they kind of fall short at the end. 16 14 Chiefs. Mason. So I think it's going to be a pretty close one, not super high scoring either. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, until I see otherwise when it comes to big games in the postseason and considering who these teams are, I can't bet against Pat Mahomes. So 21-18, Chiefs. Yeah, for as big a Chiefs hater as I've been all year and as critical as I've been uh, uh, of Patrick Mahomes, like playoffs are about rules. And I don't know if you guys remember one of my crucible rules 
Uh, but that is don't pick against Patrick Mahomes because it almost always makes you look extremely foolish. I do think the Dolphins offense is going to show up. I think this is going to be a shootout by these two team standards. I think it's 24-21 Chiefs. I think the Chiefs get uh, a Travis Kelsey touchdown. I think they get an Isaiah Pacheco touchdown. And I think one of the wide receivers finally makes a play on a big drive and, and gives them another one so that they can keep pace with the Dolphins' output, which will be good. And, and Tua, I think, will play well in this game. But in the end, you, you got to trust Patrick Mahomes in these spots. And uh, In fitting fashion, it will probably be Justin Ross that catches that touchdown out of the Kansas City Chiefs wide receiving core. Yeah. Kind of rub, rub it in for you. What, one of these, one of these Chiefs podcast. wide receivers is going to catch a touchdown. That's that's it, my big prediction. And, don't and be it won't surprised. be the Rice. Yeah, and don't be surprised if Kadarius Tony has like a big day, or if Marquez Valdez Scantling sh- suddenly shows up and has 150 yards through the air. Like, that's that's a uh, that's kind of where where we're at with this team. All right, Mason, before you got to go, and before we transition briefly to week eight uh, to week 18 takeaways, some coaching changes, and a look at the Philadelphia Eagles and RK's thoughts on the NFC before we head out. Uh, a brief programming note, we'll be back again tomorrow night, hopefully with YB and Mason, if they, if they can make it, and hopefully Brad, uh, but Brock as well, and we will go through all the NFC playoff matchups then. Final AFC playoff matchup of the weekend, it is the Joe Flacco-led Cleveland Browns against the C.J. Stroud-led Texans on Saturday afternoon. Hard to set this game up other than this one should be weird and fun and chaotic and interesting because you have one Joe Flacco who has looked like legitimately a top 10 NFL quarterback over the past month versus CJ Stroud, a guy that at points this year was playing like a top five quarterback, kind of slowed down down the stretch, got hurt. Came back, played extremely well against the Colts last week. The Texans are as healthy as they can be. Obviously, no Tank Dell because he's out for the season, but Nico Collins is back. He's playing well. He had a big game against the Colts. I feel like these two teams are fairly evenly matched. I'd say the offenses have equivalent numbers of stars, and the defenses are closer than you'd think, but that, that Texans defense has played so well over the past few months. And that's a large credit to Will Will Anderson, who has played out of his mind over the past month. And I, I think has done a really solid job of trying to cement himself as uh the as the um excuse me, as the this is defensive rookie of the year pardon me as i as i stumble over my words there very quickly but also some some other just solid players on this defense including christian harris who has had a really really nice season and jonathan greenard who is has played really solid football throughout the year with 12 and a half sacks 
I don't know where to go on this game, guys. I, I don't have a pick. I don't I don't have a feel. I'm just excited to watch it because I, I think it's gonna be weird and fun and chaotic. YB, obviously you've seen a lot of the Browns this year. How how do you how do you feel about these two teams heading into this matchup? Well, I mean, the Browns, like I think like my personal biases aside, they're a very they're a pretty triumphant story, like especially when you consider the history of their franchise and what a combination of injuries and suckitude have forged for them in their quarterback position, as well as the fact that they don't have Nick Chubb. Like it's remarkable what they've been able to do. And they obviously they played like three weeks ago. Cleveland won, but that was with Case Keenum instead of CJ Stroud was still recovering from a concussion. So as you mentioned, the odds are dead even. Like on ESPN, they have it at minus two point five for the Browns. So it's it'll be interesting because Stroud Stroud and Ryan's obviously are not strangers to big games. Ryan's obviously they haven't played in San Francisco. Having had a playing career and they were all I have been coaching at San Francisco and then Stroud obviously playing at Ohio State and leading into CFP, but it's a different game, I think. And I don't know what the injury reports are, except that I'm, the Browns are mostly healthy, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know whether Denzel Ward will be back. Like, I haven't checked the injury reports, but if like it'll be probably looking at the Texans' schedule. Other than Baltimore, I think they. I think the Browns are the the strongest defense that they've faced, which is not surprising considering that those two are probably two of the best defenses in the league. But I kind of have a good feeling about Stroud and how he's taken everything in stride throughout his rookie season on what was supposed to be a rebuilding team. And he's elevated like everybody there. I think they put, they put up a good game. And I think I have conviction enough in the Texans to say that they, I think they might pull off the upset. Like it, like this is no disrespect to the Browns, who I think have played remarkable football with Joe Joe Flacco, obviously like channeling his 2011 self. And it would be very funny if the Browns won and they knocked off the Ravens, which which would be probably some of the greatest storytelling in NFL script writing history. But I think the Texans at home, after having had a chance to look at what the Browns throw at them, and now that they're armed with C.J. Stroud, who is back and recovered from his concussion. I think they pull off the upset. Okay. Tell me what you thought about this, uh, about this Browns defense this year. What what stands out to you? What makes them such a solid unit? Yeah. I mean, I think you got to start with miles Garrett, obviously one of the top, you know, defensive players uh, in the NFL, uh, you know, had a bunch of sacks this year and, as a, just a disruptive force out there. But even outside of that, I feel like I look at this secondary and I feel like they've gotten a lot better over recent years. Obviously, Denzel Ward has kind of been a staple for a little while, but I've liked what I've seen out of Greg Newsom on the other side uh, as well this season. Um, feel like the the Browns' secondary and pass coverage um, has been, you know, much improved of what we've seen uh, in years past. So, um, you know, I think that is a just kind of a good combination, a good mix out there. You've got some good athletes uh, on the field and, um, you know, the, they've just been a really consistently strong group and like YB kind of outlined, you know, they've dealt with a lot of adversity with injuries and, um, you know, up and down play. And, you know, even through all of that, they've gotten impressive wins. 
Um, you know, in Baltimore, they got that win in Houston a couple of weeks ago. And I know CJ Stroud didn't play in that game, but, um, you know, they obviously looked, uh, looked the part. So, um, I feel like the Browns defense, um, has, you know, been one of the best groups, uh, in the NFL, you know, given how they've, uh, had this success, uh, all the way here, uh, into the playoffs. All right, let's go ahead and, uh, and pick this game. I'll start with you, Mason. So... I feel like I've got to go with my heart on this one a little bit. And it, it is kind of cool that this is like in, in a, you know, a wild card weekend that has tons of storylines. This might be the most fun one for me of the team that sold their soul and can't use the piece that they sold it for going up to battle for the team. They gave everything to for it. And, uh, I, I, I got to want them and Joe Flacco just because, like, who knows what that man does in the playoffs. I don't want to see that tear happen again. Uh, I'm hoping for Texans and let's say 24-21. With, with this game, I mean, I'm probably also leaning a bit with my heart here like because of who I root for. I think, as I mentioned, I think the Texans will pull off the upset. I think they put up a bit more points than I think people expect to. And they pull and they pull it off uh twenty eight twenty one. I got uh I actually got the Browns in this game. Uh I think that uh Amari Cooper was pretty unguardable the last time these two teams played. So um I think that uh will just create a little bit too many problems for Houston um yet again here in, in their second matchup. So uh, I like Cleveland. I think it'll be a relatively low scoring game. I'll say uh twenty one thirteen final. Um, for uh, for Joe Flacco and the boys over there in Cleveland getting in a, a win in uh, in Houston. A little bit back and forth. I do think this is the one, one of maybe two games this weekend that materializes into a true shootout. Give me Joe Flacco doing some absolutely heroic stuff this weekend. Four-plus touchdowns. I'll say Browns 35 and... Uh, Texans 31. And with that, let's see AFC playoff picture. Before we let you go, Mason, any at-large thoughts on how this, how we think the conference plays out of all these teams and, and out of the teams we picked to move forward? Are, obviously, the favorite is the Ravens. But do any of these teams, other than the Bills, maybe stand any chance of, of making a, a deep playoff run, do you think? I mean, I, I, it, it really feels a lot like there's the Ravens and then almost everyone else is almost kind of like a dark horse contender at this point because they're going to have to get hot or get lucky or something's going to happen. I, I mean, if I had to pick one of these teams that I think it might be almost the most likely for, as much as I hate to say it, I think it's the Browns just because Joe Flacco has that weird pedigree of going on a month long tear of being absolutely impeccable at quarterback. And if he even channels half of that, that makes Cleveland wildly dangerous. Yeah, I'm with you. I think the Browns are a big team to watch in this playoff field in the AFC. I, I, I think that they can make a run. I think they can beat Baltimore, I think they can beat Buffalo. I, I I think they are a really good team with a really good coach. And I, I think their coach is 
frankly, better than Buffalo's coach, and that gives them an edge there. Still, the, the nightmare scenario for me, but just something that I've been thinking about more and more. I have a hunch I know what this is. The Chiefs, man, like they like if if Marquez Valdez Scantling can play three good games, which is not a lot to ask of a guy that has shown up in the playoffs over the past few years. Yeah, but this 17 game sample size you put down this year is pretty brutal. I I know, but their defense is so good that I, I think if a run game gets going, if Kelsey can play better than he did in the regular season, if he can rechannel that year he had last year and and really go out and prove that he's still an elite level tight end, because let's be honest. Elite level, that's we're we're talking like top two in the league, and he was not that this year when when he played. If he can get back to that level, which I, I you know I believe he can. Taylor Swift's going to be in the press box. You know he's going to be he's going to be playing better. You know, Patrick Mahomes is just. I mean, I, I've I've seen it. I've seen this movie play out too many times, and I I, I think the Chiefs have a real shot their, their biggest test is going to be next week when when they play whoever they they face in the second round probably probably most likely the bills but you can't tell me that the ravens wouldn't be scared if the chiefs ended up coming to baltimore because you know that that that's that's a team with a lot of pedigree with a lot of experience and and with a See, great that, defense that's, that's, the word that's right there that's coming in the pedigree, I think, is what everybody should honestly be most scared of, is the core, the coaching staff, everybody who matters on that team, they have it. They've been there before. They've done it before. Yeah. I mean, Re- repeatedly, too. It's not like it was a one-off and then it's like, ooh, they've been trying to get back. Repeatedly. I will say this. You could tell me any of these wildcard matchups go either way, except that one. I think there is 100% certainty that the Chiefs win this weekend. Like, that, that is the one thing I am 100% sure on. The rest, I think it's fair to say it's all toss-up. But I, I think the Chiefs are just a really, really good team with a lot of pedigree, and they're not going to lose in the wildcard round. And if they do, hey, man, it's it's kind of a... It's kind of like I'm. I'm. What the word is escaping me? Like it's. We should kind Delicious. of condemn. Delightful. We should condemn them for that. <laughs> like they wasted because if that if that's really how this season ends, then they've wasted a year of Patrick Mahomes' prime, and they and they've done a really terrible job of team building this year. So uh, it it'll be Glory. interesting to to see how it to see how it plays out. Mason, I know you got to go. Um, we only have about 15 minutes left here, we're just going to hit the, the coaching stuff and, and, and get out. But uh, I wanted to say thanks very much. And, uh, I'm planning on this weekend doing the thing I like to do during the playoffs, which is, uh, you know, Monday night after those, after all those games are done, 
I'd like to like to jump right on and 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 get uh and get talking. So hopefully I I'll see you tomorrow and then next Monday. I'll definitely do my best, gentlemen. Enjoy the rest of the show. YB, congratulations on getting Mike Grable fired. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, we'll see you guys later. See you, Mason. All right, guys. We're at this up pretty quick. Uh, but obviously, big news week in the NFL with all the coach firings. Let me just read them off really quick. Rabel, Arthur Smith, Ron Rivera, Frank Reich, Josh McDaniels, Brandon Staley. I thought that was it. Did I miss anyone, Ryan? Not to my knowledge. Yeah. yeah um, the ones that have actually been fired, those are the ones. Those are the ones. Uh, anyone on that list, YB, really surprise you? None of it really surprised me. Yeah, none of it surprised me, although, like, I, I obviously mentioned Rabel a couple of times, but I, I didn't disagree think they would actually with the Rabel it. move, but I don't, I I'm not surprised it. by it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a shame because like you can make the argument that the Bengals basically ended this era of the Titans after they beat them in the playoffs that year. And then after that game, they traded away AJ Brown. They got rid of the GM. And then after that, one year later, they got rid of Mike Rabel. The speculation is that with Bill Belichick's future obviously in question up in Foxborough, and Rabel has re- mentioned before that he would love to come back to New England in some capacity. And if he's if he he was successful as a head coach, maybe not at the end, but he was very successful as a head coach in Tennessee. He ain't coming to Foxborough to be somebody's off- offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. He's coming there to be the boss. So, so like this, obviously those into question. So what about the? A rumored uh, internal promotion for Jerron Mayo, which obviously that's something for Robert Kraft and the Patriots uh, brain trust to figure out. But it was surprising because Rabel, like you can kind of see that it, the season was wearing on the guy. Like as the, as the season went on, they seem to have found at least some sort of a spark in Will Levis, but Levis obviously had his ups and downs. Obviously also hurt. And with Derrick Henry now like, like having a very emotional like parting address to the Tennessee crowd, Ryan Tannehill won't be back. It, it's a new era for the Titans, and I think uh, their ownership decided that with uh, with the one with the first year GM that now has his like hands in the pie, so to speak, it was time for a fresh start. And maybe they could have worked on trading Rabel, but apparently what I read is that that would have been way too complicated in this sort of juncture. So they just kind of ripped the band-aid off and it's it's not a completely like incomprehensible decision, but I was surprised they actually did went forward with it. Yeah, I, I just disagree with the move. I just think the Titans forget like I this this is so this sounds almost this sounds so demeaning almost. But, like, I think the Titans kind of, like, don't you guys think they just, they kind of forgot who they are? Like, this is not a a team that has had large, long organizational success. He He brought them the most success they've had over the past 10 years. And then... To get rid of him before you even really give him a chance to rebuild, they never fully committed to a rebuild. 
that like that, that this was the same era of aging and old players and and to think he he lost a power struggle to this Carthon guy is crazy and i i feel very confident that he's going to show up in the next place he's probably going to hire a dynamo offensive coordinator from one of these McVay Shanahan type trees and he's just going to have tremendous success wherever he goes next because I, I I just I I can't I I I seriously cannot condone what the Titans did. I, I thought it was so short-sighted of them, so like wildly short-sighted of them to give up on Vrabel at, at this point. It's just it's it's where do they go from here? Because I don't think they're going to find anyone that gives them an equivalent shot. It's not an attractive job. Will Levis is is showed flashes, but they don't have a good draft pick. They still don't really have any true wide receiving talent. They're basically going to lose the core of their offense. Jeffrey Simmons has long been, if you listen to his media availabilities, a huge fan of Mike Vrabel. You'd imagine he'll want out and be very, very unhappy with this news. There's rumblings that the defensive side was blindsided by this. It's like, I, I don't understand what the Titans think they're doing. I, I just thought it was a terrible move. And I, I, I think of all the moves that happened, th- this one is one where you'll say, okay, that team's going to regret it. Yeah, I think Vrabel will get scooped up here pretty quick. Uh, I agree with that analysis, Eric. Uh, you know, he was coach of the year back in 2021. And yeah, these last two years haven't gone well, but you're right. Like they've lost a lot on that roster. And um, yeah, maybe we thought that they would be more in kind of that wild card range, especially when you consider Houston and Indianapolis being in that mix in their division this year. But um, I think Vrabel will get scooped up and he'll be a head coach again for sure. For all we know, he could be hiring his old offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, <laughs> for, his, for his next job. He could be. Yeah. Like, I think that I don't think they would have pulled the trigger on this if, if not for the fact that the other three teams in the division, like Jacksonville, was kind of a given considering how they played last year. But with Houston and uh, Indianapolis both like like having shots at the wild card, and then Tennessee looks so far behind, I think that kind of uh, jump started the circuit in the ownership's head that maybe Rabel isn't cut out for a rebuild like because Rabel doesn't like we don't we don't know anything about Rabel like personally but maybe ownership had doubts that Rabel should be the one to oversee a rebuild as opposed to overseeing a team that was contending like that's speculation on my part so maybe that has something to do with it although if that's the case like then what's he going to do in New New England (laughs) <laughs> which is yeah. squarely a rebuilding team. So I know, here. I know everyone says New England, New England, New England, New England. But what happens when the Cowboys lose a week from now? Like, couldn't you just see Jerry Jones saying, like, okay, I thought about Dan Quinn, but I can get an upgrade on Dan Quinn and I can keep whoever I'm keeping at offensive coordinator and bring in Mike Frable. And he's just the Cowboys' next head coach. Like, I I doubt that for one simple reason that Jerry, well, unless he's gone soft in his old years, he doesn't want a coach that stands out to him. He wants a coach that will kind of fall in line with what he says. I think 
it was kind of a departure that I think he went with McCarthy because I think McCarthy also has a bit more spine than I think he's made out to have, which is why he's like, that's why Jason Garrett was the coach for so long in Dallas and Jerry's the boss there. And I don't think Mike Bray. Yeah. But Jerry Jones is also about to die. And the one thing Jerry Jones wants more than anything in the world is to win another Super Bowl. So I think no, the one thing he wants more than anything in the world is win the Super Bowl on his terms. Let's make let's keep it let's make that clear. No, I I I think he'd swallow his pride to go after an all star head coach. I think I'm with YB on this one. I'm not sure Jerry would relinquish that control, and not, nor do I think that McCarthy is going to get fired even if they lose. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. All right. Any of the other moves surprise us? I didn't feel we needed to spend a ton of time on any of those at the beginning of the season. If you would have given us this list, YB, I feel like this whole panel would have said, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." Like it, the one, the surprises I think are the ones that like not only manage to survive but thrive. So I think, I think primarily on that list would be Stefanski because I thought Stefanski was coaching for his job this season after what happened last season, and he pulled it off more, more remarkably. He did a fabulous job considering the circumstances. So that's one uh, thing. Like, oh yeah, there's speculation about Pete Carroll, but Carroll is as energetic as any seven as any 70-year-old man is, and I think he wants to come back. Like, it's... it's the app situation is interesting because there's a lot of things in flux, and the defense, which has been Carroll's calling card for his entire career, has not been good over the past like, several years. But I don't think they're in a hurry to rush Carroll off the door, and I don't think Carroll's in a rush to walk out that door. So I think he'll be back. Yeah, I guess the other name that comes to mind for me would be Matt Aberflus with the Bears. I just oh, think yeah. he's a terrible coach, and the Bears are accepting mediocrity by continuing to do him. But that's the Chicago Bears, so I guess I shouldn't be too surprised about that. You want to go into speculation about the field situation? Oh, gosh, that is a crazy discussion. If it's me... I just draft Caleb Williams, and I'm like, I'm gonna take the best quarterback prospect. But I get the Fields defenders. I think he, uh, you know, he he is good enough to where you can build a team around him. But um, yeah, that's gonna be a fun discussion here the next couple of months for sure. Oh yeah, it's gonna be an ad nauseum discussion, yeah. and I am all here for it. Oh yeah, I think I wasn't surprised by any of these. What becomes outside of the easy answer, which is the Chargers, what becomes the most attractive job of all of these? Washington. Washington. Because well, well for, first of all, they don't have a they don't have a shit owner there anymore. They have an owner that actually has experience running teams, maybe the different sport, but they know how the process works. Ironically, like the process. And then uh, they have good they have solid group of players like a lot of young players too, like Curtis Samuel aside. Jahan Dawson had a down year, obviously, but I think he can I think he has more talent than he showed this year. Terry McLaurin's locked up long term. They have the second pick in the draft, so they'll have either Drake May or if something else happens, Caleb Williams. And they have an okay defense, although I think obviously they stripped up down a lot of different parts. But and they have a young running back who can who shown he can be uh, at least an RB one A in Brian Robinson. So I think the Washington job, because of how long it was, it was a shit house for so long that there's a bit of a reputational thing that comes with it. But I think the Washington job is a lot more attractive than I think people make it out to be. Belichick, Ryan, when, when do we get this news? Because it does feel like this news is coming. It's just a matter of when. 
Yeah, I would say, you know, I, I, honestly, I may be a little surprised we haven't found out anything to this point uh, on Belichick in the future. Obviously, the writing's been on that wall for a long time with it being a tough year in New England. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say within the next couple of days, we'll probably get an answer on if uh, if Belichick is going to stay. Will he relinquish player personnel control? Is he going to retire? Does he want to move on to another team himself in the NFL? I think those are all, you know, very fair questions. It, it seems like this is probably it for Belichick in New England, just how things have gone. But the fact we haven't gotten that news yet, at least maybe holds out some hope that maybe he stays uh, in, a, in a different role, maybe just coaching instead of the personnel side. Uh, maybe that door is a little bit more open than we gave it credit a couple of weeks ago. All right. A few brief week 18 takeaways, and then we can get out of here. The Jags fall apart. What a collapse. I think my biggest takeaway from this season is we, I, I remember this conversation like it was yesterday, YB. We were talking after that divisional round game where he, where Trevor Lawrence looked so good against the Chiefs about can Trevor Lawrence take that next step and become one of these elite level quarterbacks in the NFL. And the answer this year was just such a resounding no. I thought he, I, I know the numbers look okay, but I thought overall for the way he played last year, he had a really bad year. I, I thought that he just did not look good really at any point in the season other than a two-week stretch right before he started picking up all those injuries. The offense should have been much better. Calvin Ridley is still, I believe, a very good player. I don't believe it was him that helped the offense back. I believe it was Lawrence. And I, I, I'm just, is he a franchise quarterback? Sure, probably. But yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't believe in him going forward. And I, I won't believe in him until I, I see him prove it. Which he, he just hasn't done up to this point in his career. He's probably a borderline top 10 NFL quarterback. I'm willing to put him no higher than that. I, I think that he is, he, he was, I know the defense fell apart, but that game was so bad against the Titans. He, he, he is part of the reason this whole thing fell apart was, was his inability to play well down the stretch. And it's not his fault entirely. He got super injured, but. It's like, I don't know. I, I, I have a, he was just hyped up to be so good, RK. You know, as as a draft guy, he was so hyped up. And it just feels like he'll he'll never reach that ceiling. He, he, he was way too overhyped. He is not that great of a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's fair to criticize him. I mean, he is still just 24 years old. So I'm not so sure we can say he'll never reach it. You know, I think that he still has obviously shown flashes of, of being good and, um, you know, he got some receivers, you know, this year a little bit more involved than they have in the past. When you think about uh, Ridley coming over after his suspension, Evan Ingram was involved in the offense. Christian Kirk, uh, when healthy, was good. Travis Etienne, you know, best year we've seen from him, uh, you know, in year two after his injury. So there are some things to like 
about the Jags, but how the season finished obviously puts a really bad taste in your mouth. Um, losing five out of the last six games, including to you know some teams that definitely are not in the playoff conversation. Um, when you talk about say like Tennessee or when they lost to Cincinnati uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, as well. So um, yeah, I mean Lawrence definitely deserves some criticism for how the season finished, but um, I, I still like you said he's still a franchise quarterback. You know, top ten is probably pretty fair for him at this point in time. You know, yeah, like you said, he was hyped up to be you know number one quarterback top five um you know qb in the league potential there um and and he's not there yet but i think still just 24 years old i I think you know this may be just kind of some of the ebbs and flows ups and downs of the nfl um that you know he'll be able to learn from uh, moving forward it's not a great division we know that obviously at this point in time so um i think the jags can obviously still be in the hunt uh, in years moving forward but um yeah tough tough finish to the season for the jags especially when you lose uh, a game on the road against a team that you know wasn't going to be making the playoffs when you need it in order to keep your season alive it's what losing to jake browning does to an mfr <laughs> like lawrence he's I, 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 yeah like you mentioned like top 10 quarterback like on the fringes of the top 10 like i think that's a very fair assessment of him in his nfl career to this point like he has the tools but he is he is incredibly sloppy with the ball for some odd reason like especially like not just the interception but fumbles like he, he loses the ball a lot more often than I think we we expected him to. Like that's a that's a kink he has to iron out. I do I disagree with Doug Peterson's decision to continue playing Trevor Lawrence after a high ankle sprain, which you know usually sidelines you for two or three weeks and then it still lingers like for a four or six weeks. He was playing the next week. Like I don't I don't know what the rationale was for that when he was gonna get bet when he was gonna get a uh, bench for CJ Bethard and due to injury. Like it was I I found the decision making in Jacksonville questionable down the down the stretch. Losing Christian Kirk, I think, had a bigger effect than I think a lot of us imagined it to. When you consider like kind of the meme that Christian Kirk was after his contract, but he's shown himself to be good, like not good value for the money considering the money gets paid, but he's a very very good receiver, like good wide receiver too, and he helped balance out Calvin Ridley's tendencies to flash hot gold. So. It'll be a time to think, and because obviously with Lawrence now, like the contract extension talks are gonna be starting, and who knows what he'll get, like with the market as inflated as it is, like it's it's gonna be an interesting time in Jacksonville. Controversial end to the Saints Falcons game. The Saints <laughs> uh, directly disobey their coach, uh, which is so funny. Uh, to that's James for you. To go, uh, to go put up an extra touchdown, pisses off Arthur Smith. One, don't know how Dennis Allen survives this, to be honest. Seems like he's completely lost the locker room. If that's happening to you as a coach, you know your players just straight up do not respect you. And I don't understand how the Saints keep him around. I, I guess I should be surprised they're kind of a poorly run organization at this point, but he really shouldn't be the head coach if if that truly went down the way it has been portrayed to have gone down. That is not a player issue. That is a, you are the head coach and you have completely lost control of your locker room. Um, love Jameis. Love that they gave Jamison Williams this touchdown. I'm I'm happy for Jamal the guy. Williams Jamal Williams, sorry. Jamal Williams' touchdown. I thought it was cool. Uh probably got Arthur Smith fired. Like it's a rivalry. 
the Falcons like, fans were thanking the Saints for that. It, it's a rivalry. Like, let's grow up a little bit. No need to get all 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 offended like some of the media members did. Like, it's just you know, it's a I mean, it's an interesting I mean, one. We don't need can, to spend make, a lot of time on this, but I just thought it like, was funny. You can have an issue with the fact that they basically. Like they were in the victory formation. If you want to give James, if you want to give Jamal a touchdown, just line up in the I formation, run the damn ball in like a normal play. Don't fake him out and kind of put the defense off guard and have and then have the potential for somebody to get hurt because you know that next year when the Saints are playing, they're going to victory formation. They're gonna they're gonna ram the victory formation like with justification. So yeah, that's like, spot I, on YB. It was an issue yeah. of how they did it, not that they did it. Yeah, I, I can understand like the players saying like we want to get a touchdown for Jamal who's busted his ass for us and doesn't have anything to show for it. Like that's fine. Then line up in the I formation, like line up in the pistol, whatever. Yeah. Don't pull, don't line up in the victory formation and then pull a fast one. Like that's like but that's not a matter of like team and team. That's a matter of like safety and also respecting your fellow professional players. No that's doubt. the issue. Okay, uh, I think that's a that's a fair point. To bring up, finally, RK, Philly. I just want I, I just want you to talk to me about Philly. Uh, I feel like only bad things can happen at this point. Um, tomorrow, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Buccaneers because I I just I feel like I trust Baker at this point more than I trust the Philadelphia Eagles defense what what has happened they they were shaky to start the year yes but they found ways to win and they they seemed like a really cohesive unit but over the span of a month and a half they have completely fallen apart to the point where if this had started about two weeks earlier they might not even be a playoff team right now like i i i don't i don't fully understand what has happened yeah, no, I honestly don't either with yeah, even watching them every week, if we're really being honest. But yeah, just kind of like the oral history of how this season has gone. Their schedule started off really easy. They did not play very good teams to start the year. Talking teams that missed the playoffs like New England or Minnesota, Washington. Uh, the Jets were in there, which is actually one of the games they ended up losing. But, um, you know, playing bad teams, they were coming away with wins. And then you hit kind of the midseason mark and all of a sudden their schedule got really tough. And they started playing teams like Miami and Dallas and Kansas City and Buffalo. But they ended up getting wins in those games. But even when watching them, uh, especially those last three, when you talk about Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo, looking back at those games, all wins for the Eagles against, you know, strong NFL playoff teams. You know, they were down at halftime in all these games. They needed second half comebacks. The first half was kind of rough. You know, the Eagles were kind of getting classic booed into the locker room. They come out in the second half. A.J. Brown was firing on all cylinders, and, and they are able to lead some of these comeback wins. Um, you know, they got a little aided, to say the least, in games like Dallas, where they came up you know a yard short on a fourth and goal or Dak Prescott's running out of bounds on a two-point conversion or the Kansas City game where Marquez Velda Scanling is dropping a game-winning touchdown and then even the Buffalo Bills game when they win in overtime you know hit a you know bomb field goal at the end of regulation just to keep themselves alive in that so you know even though they were winning some of these close games against really strong teams you know the process wasn't still the greatest it wasn't the cleanest you weren't walking away saying wow the Eagles what a team like you are say with the Baltimore Ravens after smacking some you know top teams in the NFL 
And then you kind of fast forward after that, where everything has kind of gone wrong here, losing five of the last six games of the season, you know, getting blown out against San Fran and Dallas, two quality teams, losing to a backup quarterback in Drew Locke on the road in Seattle, uh, and then losing the two terrible teams with the Cardinals and Giants in games that they were still kind of competing in. It's not like they were mailing it in here at the end of the year with these last two losses. Um, you know, they were still kind of playing their guys up until that second half at the Meadowlands against the Giants where they already kind of saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't going their way and Dallas had a lead in Washington. So I just kind of pulled the plug on that situation. But um, I, I think that there's a lot of criticism going out there. You know, where, do, where does the blame fall? I think this is still a good roster. I think the players need to be held accountable at some point here. Jalen Hurts' turnovers hasn't been good. Uh, the defense is underperformed. And I don't think you can even necessarily fully blame injuries for all of the struggles. And yeah, it's easy to look at the coordinators. You lost both both of them, Jonathan Gadden, Arizona, Shane Steichen to Indianapolis. But nevertheless, even still, you know, this team was playing better football earlier in the year. They clearly have the potential, and it's just been a, a consistent regression of playing good against bad teams to coming back against good teams to now getting blown out against good teams and, and losing to some bad ones too. So, um, yeah, it's been a uh, very steady regression uh, in, in this season. They're well past their climax. It seems like this ship is, is sinking fast, and, uh, you know, the Eagles kind of the classic thing about them is usually once they're the underdogs once everybody starts doubting them you know that's when they kind of play their best but I really don't get that vibe I don't get that feeling at the moment and you know, still technically a favorite against Tampa Bay everyone's kind of like well I guess they're better than Tampa Bay but I thought they were better than Arizona and the Giants too and they weren't able to do that the last two weeks so um, it's going really bad they're not playing very good not playing cohesive football yeah obviously there's still that potential yeah this is the same team that has won some good games against good teams this year was in the Super Bowl last year but just to what we've seen over the last two months um you know it's been a like i said very steady regression uh and and things are not clicking so hard to you know point the finger uh you know at, at anyone in specific i feel like just um the players the veterans on this team haven't come through maybe the the gas tank is emptying a little bit on some of the careers of lane johnson jason kelsey fletcher cox brandon graham um you know that kind of dynasty uh group that has gone to a couple super bowls and won one with philly um you know maybe it's kind of dwindling and, and coming to an end here um with uh with how the struggles have been over the last two months it's, it's kind of sad because you saw like they like they're mostly the same group that went to the super bowl last year but like notably like they they don't they, i think they miss cj garden johnson like he i think he was very vital for them because he was younger than james bradbury and darius slay and kind of provided that fiery like guidance like which is kind of strange to say coming from the 25 year old yeah. It's like like Bradbury in particular has looked really cooked. Like he he looks cooked. Like like it, it was it was sad. And the pass rush that was so ferocious last year, like even though obviously they lost Javon Hargrave to free agency, which was undoubtedly a big loss, they we stocked the pile with Jalen Carter, like Jordan Davis the year earlier. But this year, Hassan Reddick still has double digit sacks, but I don't think his impact's been consistent over over the season. Josh Sweat has disappeared. Yeah, the linebackers are terrible. <laughs> which is not helped by Nicobe Dean, like he constantly hurt. And then what's more troubling, I think, is that Hurts, like I think his decision-making was really spot on last year for most parts, like a couple of hiccups notwithstanding. This year, I think he's like chucking more, if you will. And I think like maybe this is because I've only seen like some certain plays which highlight this, but it doesn't, at times it seems like Hurts, even with a good pocket, doesn't step into the throws at all. He just kind of throws with his arm and it, I, these are some bad habits. I think they're developed for Hurts, and I think he needs to get that fixed up. 
because he's a talented player. Like they are, they're AJ Brown's a talented player. Devontae Smith is a talented player. Dallas Goddard is a talented player. DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Swift had a re- yeah. renaissance in Detroit. When Renaissance in Philly after being kind of a discarded from Detroit. So talent's there. Like the coordinators, obviously, like we saw what Shane Steichen did for Indy and to a lesser extent what Jonathan Gannon did for Arizona. I think a lot of Philly fans that were calling for Gannon's head are kind of looking at what Gannon's doing in Arizona, saying maybe it wasn't such a bet, it was such a great idea to drive the guy out of town. But like it's it's mystifying how quickly and how drastically the false calm fall off has come for the Eagles. I don't understand it. I don't. Yeah, no, it's mind-boggling. Like you said, the players are there. They just need to play better. <laughs> it's that's the, it's the hardest problem to solve. They just need to play better. And what can yeah. you do as, as someone that doesn't as, some, as someone that's not on the field? Do. What can you do? Yeah. All right. With that, I'm gonna make a tease. If you would like to hear my final thoughts on my Denver Broncos regular season. Tune in tomorrow. Uh, YB, I'm sure, will come with some questions and can tease that out of me. I also think Brock would be a good a good person to have there, and hopefully, is he, is YB, he okay? You, like, is he is he not depressed? <laughs> like, why, YB, with, with the, the you need to be YB. You need to be very active in our chat tonight, and and let Brad know because if Brad can be there, I mean that that would be. That would be the the best outcome. RK, very quickly, give me your final four and your Super Bowl pick, and let's get out of here. Yeah, I uh, I hate to be you know boring guy and say that the Baltimore Ravens are going to be among the final four, but they are. So I'm gonna I'm gonna you know use my brain at least a little bit here. Uh, I I think Baltimore uh, is uh, is among the final four uh, in the AFC, and uh, I think they are gonna end up playing Buffalo in uh, in that AFC title game. I, I think they get past Pittsburgh, um, and then uh, you know I think they may be able to get a win against say KC uh, at home as they did in Arrowhead a little bit ago. So gonna be boring in the AFC. Pick the number one and the number two seed. Uh, NFC. I think it's maybe a little bit more interesting. I'm not gonna go crazy. I think the Niners will be able to get there um, as well, obviously with how good they've played. But I will give you a more fun NFC. The uh, opponent in the uh, championship game. I'm gonna go with the LA Rams. I think that uh, Matt Stafford and the group can uh, can pull off a win in Detroit and go on a little bit of a uh, of a run here. Um, you know, I think that would be uh, would be kind of fun to see um, the the Rams involved uh, as well. So um, I think the Rams are kind of a sleeper team in the NFC. Um, now that would require uh, Green Bay to upset Dallas. I'm not too sure that that, that happens. So it might be kind of Rams Niners in the divisional round if they get that upset. But uh, nevertheless, I'm gonna be that fun. I think it will end up being uh, the, uh, the the Niners in the NFC, uh, and then uh, you know it's, it's really hard to pick against Baltimore. But I will say Buffalo gets to the Super Bowl this year. I feel like uh, the highs and potential there uh, just takes kind of that one game situation. Um, you know, I think everybody's gonna be kind of riding high on the Ravens. So I'm gonna say 49ers and Bills. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.